life can be tricky, making us ask, what was that? Join host Jan Murray and her guests as they explore the that's of life. Welcome to Life After That. Hello, I'm Jan Murray, your host for Life After That. This is a special episode, a little different than all the others, as we've been sharing the stories of many ALS families from all over United States, Canada, and beyond. This episode deals with a very sensitive topic of caregiver exhaustion, depression, even suicide. I've invited a longtime licensed professional counselor from Alabama that I've known for many years, Carol Dean, to come and talk to us about dealing with caregiver stress and depression, coping skills, and yes, even to suicide. If you are a caregiver or a past caregiver and you're listening and you find yourself to be down and alone and perhaps contemplating even self-harm, please take a listen to some of the things that Carol talks about in this podcast and also notice that the cover that you can see on the podcast platform for this episode has the 988 hotline number for someone who needs help in terms of suicide prevention, depression, etc. And before we get started, I want to add that Carol spent more than 20 years counseling children all the way up through adults. She is highly regarded in that community. I hope that you can find some helpful tips and hints through this episode to help you if you're in crisis or perhaps if you know someone in crisis. We do address specifically the caregiving situation in the world of ALS, but some of what she says can certainly help others in other situations too. And the reason I'm interjecting this special episode is I've known more than two people that have passed away in the last many months due to suicide, and they were former caregivers. I remember my own depression after my husband passed away six years ago. It never got uh, that serious in terms of wanting to self-harm, but there were periods of time when I honestly didn't care if I woke up the next day. The real me certainly cared. But the depression and the exhaustion of long-time caregiving in situations such as with ALS patients can really wear heavily on caregivers. So please join us for this very special and important episode. So Carol, thank you so much for coming and being on Life After That today to talk about caregiver stress and care as well as uh, suicide risk. Thank you. Thank you, Jan. I appreciate the invitation and the opportunity to be able to talk with others about your listeners about these two very, very important topics. Thank you. And as you know, this season of Life After That is concentrating primarily on um, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis and the families that it's affected. This show shares family stories, both before the disease, during the disease, and then the after uh, when the caregivers are left without the person they were caring for, which we call PALS, P-A-L-S, in this community, uh, a person with ALS. And then the caretaker is referred to as a cow or a caretaker of someone with ALS. So you got PALS and cows. So this show interviews cows and talks about their PALS, but also the cows after 
having to deal with a devastating disease. So let's start off by talking about caregiving in general and how caregivers should uh, take care of themselves. And then also, if you would, address the situation where a caregiver tends to be solo. In the ALS world, a lot of times, as I knew as a caregiver of my husband, a lot of times we're solo the majority of the time with very little backup. So if you could just talk about caregiving caregiving in general and how a caregiver needs to be aware to take care of themselves, but how to do that when you don't have a huge support system. Yes. Okay. Um, first of all, I think when finding yourself after the diagnosis and you find yourself that you're in this particular situation, reach out, reach out right then to others. Uh, most people know of someone whose um, loved one is dealing with ALS. Go ahead, reach out to them, um, get to know them, um, be able to start developing at that point, your support system, because it's so, so very important to have others in our support system. Um, and unfortunately, but also on a positive note, sharing an illness, a disease like ALS, a neurodegenerative disease, is so devastating. Uh, there's so many still unknowns. And like we were talking earlier, um, there's still not a cure. Right. But, but hopefully, hopefully, if not in our lifetimes, then our children's lifetimes. Uh, I'm certainly looking forward to that day. I really, really am. Yeah. Um, I, uh, if I can mention, um, Michael J. Fox. Yes, with Parkinson's, yeah. Yeah, and he was on the news recently about saying that he didn't think he was going to live past 80. And I thought initially, really? So who gave him a heads up, you know, to... Was he praying one night and God said, hey, watch it, Michael J. You're, you know, you just got X number of years left. That's it. So make the most of it. Yeah. But we can look at prognosis. We can look at um, the course of the disease. We can look at where our loved one is in that disease. But try not to focus too much on that because our loved one still has their mind. Their mind is still a living, active organ, mm -hmm. which is so, so incredibly important because people like Michael J. Fox and others with Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia, don't. And there again, too, there's nothing they can do about that. 
Right. And there are cases of ALS. It's, they're the rare cases where they have the frontotemporal lobe dementia. And unfortunately, they do lose a lot of that executive functioning and so forth. And But you're right. The majority of ALS patients do keep their mental faculties, um, which makes it hard. I let me I read something the other day and I wish I could remember now where I read it. Um, there was a study done on ALS caregivers and ALS patients, and it actually found that the caregivers became more depressed over the course of the disease than the patient, even though their mind was staying strong, that somehow the patient, and I saw this with Bill, he adapted all, you know, very, very well. Um, they adapted and got got less depressed. Now, I know some patients do get very depressed and some can get really mean, which makes the caregiver even in a worse situation. But this yes. case study that, that I read indicated that the caregiver is definitely the one that's doing the most struggle. And what would be your interpretation of that? Is it because they're trying to take care of 100% of somebody else's needs plus their own? They've given up their life. What? Where do you think that's coming from? Okay. First, if I could address your saying not quite sure where it was. I do have some studies that I had have looked at recently on this topic. Yeah. One is called, this was done in 2021, so a very recent one, thank goodness. Yeah. Uh, mortality among family members of patients with ALS. And, um, and that's where it said that they found that caregivers have a higher mortality due to suicide. Ah, and see, that's why, why I wanted to do this show to begin with was because yeah. I have been touched by at least two caregivers who have ended their lives by suicide in recent months and decided to do this show. So tell us some more about what you found out there. Okay. Um, the, it said that their higher mortality rate is due to external causes, both suicides and accidents compared to partners with ALS-free individuals. And at first when I thought of, saw it, I thought, well, what is, what is it about the accidents? Um, were they perhaps- the Too exhausted to take care of themselves? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. for sure. That could certainly be a part of it. That's very understandable. Um, also, um, there can be a lot of um, moral judgment, uh, a lot of um, feedback that the family can get, uh, oftentimes feedback that we don't want. And that's, that's important to be able to draw that boundary and to, yeah. uh, to tell others what we need and what we don't need. Which I think most caregivers are probably not doing. I know I didn't, but then I would get really angry because someone just, and now I can look back and say, well, gosh, you never really expressed that need. You just got mad because it wasn't provided or it wasn't done. And and that, there was this part of me that was like, surely they see how we're struggling here. Surely they see what we need mm -hmm. and didn't realize then as that busy 24-7 caregiver that, well, those people are awfully busy with their lives and it wasn't that they didn't care, um, but they really didn't know 
the things I thought they should have known. So I think you're right. We have to speak up and let people know. Now, I do know situations where people have done that and the pe- the friends or family actually turned on them worse and became very judgmental. So there's always going to be those little pockets of that kind of thing happening. But so mm-hmm. part of what you're saying then is caregivers have to be willing to speak up for the things they need and yes. to start building that support system early on. Yes, because it is not being um, selfish. It's not being uh, needy. Um, although we do have a lot of needs when we're a caregiver. Oh my goodness, we do. Um, and another thing that I found too, oftentimes the best of caregivers are very empathetic people in the first place. Um, that's one of the things that makes them such a, a terrific caregiver mm-hmm. because they can literally put themselves in the shoes of their their loved one right. and to anticipate what their needs are, and especially um, when we've been married a certain length of time or uh, the more we get to know a person, the more we understand what their needs are. And we think, start thinking, well, I'm the one who knows him or her best. So why should I ever, ever, ever let someone else be the caregiver, even for just an hour or two for my yeah. life? Yeah. And a, lot. and a lot of caregivers like do have a hard time doing that, or they may want that, but then the pals... Uh, the person with ALS is just not there yet. They don't want it. They only want, because with ALS, you're doing a lot of personal care. You're doing the nitty gritty, icky things that nobody wants to talk about. And sometimes a patient isn't ready for that. I kind of insisted early on, which I was really surprised. <laughs> I, I don't want to think what my bill must have been calling me under his breath. <laughs> early on but I I was pretty vocal I mean I still had two teenagers at home one who was not doing particularly well and I'm like hey I can't do it all okay we got to have help here and Mm -hmm. um and I did call in help fairly quickly um thankfully uh we were actually able to get qualified for hospice super early and I think some things have changed about hospice since we were on it and hospice sent out a person, uh, a CNA, you know, a, ner- a certified nursing assistant, two or three times a week. And mm-hmm. Bill was not ready for them to help with his bath. And I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, I was like, I got to have help. I, I can't take care mm-hmm. of the household, work a job from my walk-in closet, take care of two teenagers and do everything for you. I can't. I can't do it all. And so I did get help early on, but I was still exhausted because I was still doing, I don't know how many loads of laundry a day. I was still shuffling all of those other things. And uh, it was exhausting. It was, and I had help. So when I hear people like a friend of mine now that's going through some things, when I hear how they are doing so much all by themselves for so long, I admire them, but I don't know how they're doing it. I do not know how they are making it or how they made it if the person's already passed away that had ALS. I don't know how they did everything all by themselves because I literally, I'm a strong person, but I couldn't do it. I I had to have help. So I I was a caregiver 
and I did as good, the best job I could do. And I did feel guilty some, but for the most part, I said, nope, I got to have help. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. So to be able to not only ask for help, but accept help. Yeah. Whether it's offered or whether we request it. And like you said, uh, hospice caregivers, there's some wonderful, wonderful yeah. people that are involved with hospice. Um, I remember when my dad started needing help with, you know, bathing and all, and he was very meticulous about it and, you know, taking this, first we do this, and then we do this. Well, um, my mom thought about, because she had noticed when, he's, when he was hospitalized, that um, he perked up when some of those cute female yeah <laughs> we know? joked about that we would joke about that uh yeah. a lot of people are offended by that though but i'm like you know if it made my bill smile exactly you know he was uncomfortable <laughs> he was very uncomfortable in the beginning with someone else doing that and i was too i remember sitting in the other room thinking my goodness there is a woman in there bathing my naked husband <laughs> and it felt really strange but at the same time it gave me about 30 minutes to breathe yeah. And yes. e each time that happened, it got a little easier for him. Mm -hmm. And he mm -hmm. realized it's professional for her. And she was also extremely caring. And it got a little easier for me. And I got over it. I mean, I mm -hmm. had a, my back was already twisted out. I, you know, I had to have the help. And I think sometimes caregivers, we try to solve the world's problems, especially within our own home. Yeah. Um. And we, we truly forget that we are a human body, a person that also has to be taken care of. And, and that's hard to do because you start feeling selfish. You're like, how am I complaining when my loved one has this horrible disease and it's doing this, this, and this. And I went through that too. You have to find other outlets and um, I'll let you address that some too. And in what the, what can the caregivers do if they just really don't want someone else coming to do those things? But what can they do, Carol, to hopefully relieve some of their stress from day to day while they're taking care of someone that's in such an intensive, devastating disease? Okay. Uh, taking breaks. And you may get to where it seems like time is just all one blob. And it's uh, and as if there have been many times that I felt as a caregiver, that I was on one of those little hamster wheels. Yes. And I would want to say, gee, I'm running as fast as I can. This is as fast as I can run. Right. And sometimes family members or friends would say, oh, but you've got to run faster. Can't you run faster? Of course you can. Just do it. Yep. I was told that a few times. Well, you just got to suck it up, buttercup, and keep on going. And I would I would want to slap the person who would say that. I would be like, you have no idea. <laughs> you literally have no idea. Exactly. And, you know, when you're speaking about um, the anger that can come up within us and how we feel ashamed about that anger. But remember, anger is a normal human emotion. And when we feel anger, that means that there's something in our life that needs to be examined, addressed, and hopefully some positive 
changes, some positive boundaries put in place. And I think, you know, with ALS, we do get very angry because we feel trapped. Our pals is trapped. We're trapped. There's literally no out. And you know what the ultimate end is going to be. Every day gets harder and harder and harder. So it's like, even if we know all this in that kind of caregiving situation, how do we cope when we know we can't get out of it? We, we are stuck there. I mean, I would go weeks without leaving the house except to walk out the front door for 10 minutes or five minutes or less and come back in because there wasn't anybody else. And that you're in a pressure cooker. I mean, how do, how do we cope with that? How do, how do we cope with that kind of a caregiving role where you're just, you, there isn't anywhere else to go. You can't get a break. Nobody else is coming and your patient. And I've heard other people tell me this on the podcast and privately, and it happened to me too. It's like they're hyper-focused. They're trying to survive. They don't want you out of their sight. Uh, if you go in the other room just to try to get a breather for 30 minutes, they're hitting their little button if they still can, or they're grunting, or, I mean, you literally, you just want to say, would you just stop? And then they don't, uh, because they're falling apart, you're falling apart, and you don't know what else to do. I mean, how can a caregiver deal with all of that and that stress? And, and I, you know, I've been through it. I spent seven and a half years in it. And I still, when I look back, I shudder to think some of the things that went through my mind. Um, never wanted to hurt my pals. I more or less wanted to hurt myself. I wanted everything just yes. to end. So and that's yes. where I kind of want to go with this is if, if caregivers are feeling that way or, or maybe their pals has already passed and they're truly in a dark place because I've talked to several who are, who are just stuck. What would you advise people who are stuck in that dark place of depression and possibly even suicidal ideations. Okay. Uh, before I address that, Jan, I noticed there's a red dot on your screen. Just wanted to mention that uh, to see if that's a technical problem. Or it says it's still recording. I think we're okay. Okay. Good deal. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> How to address it when we're... Thank you, though. <laughs> You're welcome. How to address that feeling of being stuck? One, as a me immediately, as soon as you possibly can, as soon as you possibly can. And that means. One, if you can't leave the room, okay, you're in there with your pal, but perhaps they, they've closed their eyes, perhaps they're resting, or you know they, they need to rest, so you put on some soft music um, that's peaceful and relaxing, some music that you know they love and you love, and it's just one of those that you can um, chill with. Yeah. And thank goodness I found there's so many uh, channels that we have on radio. I mean, think about it. In this day and age, 21st century, and we're still using radio. Yeah. Um, 
Well, we have satellite radio now. <laughs> exactly. So, but to use that music to take a mental break, mm-hmm. a mental break, and you can make it a physical break too by making yourself as comfortable as you can, maybe, you know, some throw pillows in there. I'm a, I'm a real fan of throw pillows. I'm putting those all around you, uh, maybe elevating your feet, whether it's a stack of books, an ottoman, one of those little old-fashioned stools from your Aunt Trudy, as mine is, <laughs> wherever you can find it, that you can just stop, decompose, your eyes and give yourself a mental and physical break even if it's just for five minutes while that while your pals is resting their eyes don't go do the laundry right then actually just actually make sure you're taking those stop and decompression breaks yes is what you're saying yes and also within that if you have okay if you have someone that you can reach out to uh, perhaps with texting or emailing, um, a phone call, or you could just talk real softly and you know with the music on, it's not going to, to disturb your pal. That is something you can do to reach out and to know, yes, there are others out there that love me, they care about me. Uh, they wish, they'll say, I wish I could do something, or I wish I knew what to do. Of course, that's the time to say, frankly, I had got a load of wash that has been sitting in that washing machine for, um, <clears throat> we're now on the second day, and um, I'm not a fan of mildew, so, you know, if uh they know where your lunch room is or they know where you keep the spare key or uh, you have left the back door unlocked. Hey, and their neighbor can just come right over and slip right in there, put that load of wash in the dryer and they, you're doing something positive for them. Yeah, so that's going back to the same thing of remembering to ask or to tell yes. what you need is caregivers have got to get brave enough to actually tell people Mm-hmm. what will actually help you even if yeah. if it is talking on the phone or coming for a quick visit that's great but it could be doing something as simple as gosh could you come switch the laundry out i've done three loads or four loads because in als i know i i did multiple sheet loads a day so <laughs> and clothing so so i see what you're saying there so still still some moments when you can kind of like with a newborn baby i'm trying to think when the baby sleeps yes. you sleep so when your pal sleeps at least sleep part of that time or write in your journal or watch your favorite show with headphones on don't always go do laundry or clean even though those things have to be done but still some moments for peace of yourself is that what i'm understanding yes absolutely because that's that's putting more relaxation and also putting energy into you and giving your brain and your emotions a chance to just have a break to just have a little bit of relief and it's about being feeling like as if you're in a pressure cooker um it's okay to release and 
and deep breathe and it's okay to yeah. go to a corner and cry sometimes too. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. Uh, I will have problems with sinuses, but I always, <laughs> as a, a counselor, um, because, uh, yeah, I too, I can start tearing up when something makes me sad or I, yeah. We're talking about Mother's Day coming up. When I think about my mother and previous Mother's Days and how hard it is. Yeah. How hard it is when she is not here. Yeah. Have your Kleenex. Go ahead. Let those tears out. It's That's a healthy way of coping with it. It really is. Yeah. Because right. it's not healthy to hold it in. That's for sure. No, no. Not at all. Not a bit. So let's move into, and if you, if I've cut you off, or there's other things you want to say, of course, interject. But so while your pals is still alive for my ALS caregivers, we want to make sure we're stealing some moments to ourselves to relax and uh, to do something we want to do, even if it's just for five minutes, but not to always just be in constant motion, cleaning, working, doing laundry, fixing clothes, uh, fixing food, because that is something you never stop moving. That's for sure. But maybe when the pals is sleeping, you sleep, or at least part of that time and steal some moments for yourself. Uh, start building your support group or support people from the very beginning. And I'll interject here for those listening. If you're not part of the online support community for caregivers of those with ALS, there's at least two. These are private groups. Only caregivers are allowed. Caregivers of ALS patients. Uh, mm -hmm. Only former uh, caregivers are allowed in one called Cow's Angels or mm -hmm. Cow's Widows. Uh, there are some very dedicated, wonderful groups of people, and they're all on Facebook. These are private groups. You can find the group, but you can't read what's in the group or see who's in the group without being accepted. And the yeah. administrators are very particular about vetting those who come in to make sure we don't have any trolls. And it's a fantastic community. A lot of the people I interview on this show, I've reached through those groups. Uh, a lot of my friends that I, some of my best friends are, are part of those groups that I met because we were in the same boat with ALS and so if you can't get out of the house or have a church group or some other social group, or you just really don't have anyone to call, there are extremely supportive communities online that can really, really help. So I just wanted to say that. So, and if you're getting depressed uh, and dealing with things when your pals are still alive, that's another one of those things where you've got to re really reach out and try to get some help, right? Yes. Okay. Goodness, um, because really um, COVID was one of those triggers for having more online counseling. Right. Think about it. You can be sitting there in the comfort of your own den, uh, your favorite comfort chair, and be able to talk or on the phone, or use your um, a digital device, such as a, um, a laptop, an iPad, tablet, whatever you have. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. And you can use that to be able to talk 
with your counselor and to be able to, sometimes it's just the counselor saying, yes, look, look at the progress you're making. Mm -hmm. You have done a lot of positive things. Mm -hmm. Celebrate that. Stop, give yourself permission to celebrate that. You're doing terrific. Or also when you know that you've got some really serious thoughts that are going on that keep getting um, worse and worse, press the time right away. Try to catch it if you can before it gets too big. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it just goes from zero to 60 and you're going, whoa, how did I get there? This mm-hmm. help right away. Uh, we talked um, earlier about the hotline that you can call. Yeah. That, uh, and it's on, it's on the screen, too, if someone's actually uh, able to look at the podcast platform. The cover for this particular episode has the hotline uh, for the suicide hotline. If someone needs to call that or they know someone that's in trouble, you might call uh, that mm-hmm. number. I believe that's 988 Yes, uh, for the new suicide hotline, 988. Uh, don't hesitate to call. And like uh, Carol said, there's telehealth now. You can get uh, any level of counseling right from your home if you're not able to go somewhere else. And I just want to encourage you as a former caregiver myself to to get that help. Carol actually helped me uh, back in those days. And, um, you know, just talking things out can make you feel a whole lot better and give you some perspective um about where you are so uh i think the next part i really want to get into is what happens after the person with als passes away a great many times it's a husband or a wife or a partner so or in a couple of cases that i've taught children it was just blows my mind um but it's your life is so intertwined maybe even before the disease hits but once the disease hits you're you're so tangled up you don't even know who you are anymore. You're you are your pal because you're doing literally everything for them. You are feeding them, you're preparing mushy food or you're pouring uh liquid food in a feeding tube, you're breathing for them because you're the one hooking up to the vent, whether it's an external or internal vent. Uh you're their bathroom. Maybe they have a catheter and you're having to change a catheter out. Uh, you're wiping hineys. You literally do every single thing for them plus yourself. And then when they're not there, and I'm speaking from experience here, because it happened to me almost six years ago, they pass away. And that first day you wake up after having probably slept for the first time all not long in years, but you wake up and you're completely lost. You're like, oh God, I thought I would be relieved. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know who I am. I, you know, uh, in our world, we usually say the first year is full of fog. You know, I think God or whoever you want to believe in that there's somehow there's just like this fog. We start surviving. We do things we have to to survive. But the hardest year, and I say this, and I've heard so many others tell me the same, that year two is harder. I think it's because you've gotten past the first and it really does hit you that you're truly by yourself. For me, it was a New Year's Eve, not quite a year after. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the first year I'm starting without Bill. 
34 years and I'm starting a new year. And it was just like, it was the most horrible night that night. I just laid there and I felt so alone. And I did get, I did get fairly depressed where I didn't care. I literally didn't care. I didn't take care of my health. And it, it led me down a road of having a health scare. That's what really turned me around and wanting to honor Bill because he fought so hard to live. And I didn't want to dishonor him by not fighting to live the life I had been gifted to keep living. And uh, so that's how I turned it around. But there's some people who you think they're okay and they're really not okay. And like I said, I've my life's been touched by a couple of situations in recent months where caregivers that we everybody thought was doing okay really weren't and they're no longer with us. And I really want to address that uh, to those who perhaps are feeling that far down. I'd like for you to address it and kind of, yes, we have the hotline, but what can the people who may be going through it and those who are around them be watching for? Because the people I talked to regarding the ones I knew, everybody thought they were great. Nobody picked up on anything. So, I mean, there may not be anything we can do. I don't know. But how can caregivers guard their own lives from that happening to them? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, first, it's a hard subject. <laughs> yeah. Thinking, you know, how we talked earlier about having different levels or different stages. Yeah. Um, it might be helpful to look at some information on depression, grief. Um, There's so many books, journal articles, um, things by uh, the National Institute for Mental Health Mm -hmm. that are quality, is quality information that can Mm -hmm. be very, very helpful. I would really, really not recommend at this stage as um, just going right on a forum or anything like that because uh, unless it's very, uh, unless the administrators are very, very active in it and monitor what is And being- they are. In these groups that I've mentioned, super active super big advocates on both groups um Mm -hmm. they've came out of that world and you know they're still working their truth too but they are these these groups that i've referenced cows angels and cows widows very much monitored and support the support that's why i believe in these groups the support of those groups is amazing amazing and it is well monitored and everyone is protected everyone so many great friendships have spawned out of these groups these are people from all over in multiple countries mostly in the u.s but multiple countries i have friends now in multiple countries because of those groups And, and and many of the people have bonded the wives the husbands you know the widows and widowers and the partners they've bonded and they they there are trips people get together 
to continue supporting. You know, uh, there's a group out of Canada. They meet once a month on Zoom in and have coffee and tea chats just as a way to support and love on each other. I think uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it certainly isn't. Yes, I was. I was definitely not talking about the ones that you had mentioned because you have already been there and right. you're giving your, you know, your personal um, story, your personal um, events that happened to you and how personally these groups have been so helpful to you. To me, that word of mouth from someone that you trust mm-hmm. like you, um, is so important, so valuable because they're tried and tested. It's, um, kind of like going to maybe, um, a new restaurant and it's a special occasion. Maybe, um, you know, maybe it's your birthday or maybe, um, it's the first time you've been out and you can't even remember how long. Right. And somewhere really, really special. And you have a friend who said, you get to choose. Think about it. Most likely, we're not going to just say ride around and find the one with the most cars in the parking lot and say, oh, let's go here. And you haven't heard anything about it. You haven't read any reviews on them. You don't know anyone who's personally ever dined there. Pays to be wary of that and just do your homework on it. When you're feeling so badly about yourself uh, and about your situation, and understandably so, um, it makes it very difficult to do that. Right. And that's when, yes, I would rely on those that have been before us, that have come before us, that know what it's like. Right. Because it's important, don't you think, to understand you truly aren't alone, even though you feel like you are. Yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, And although each person's journey is unique, it really is, there are commonalities that connect us. And like when you're talking about uh, taking care of your pal's hygiene, uh, I can remember, um, yeah, finding out that there are um, adult um, fresh wipes that are big, and you can put them in the microwave, heat them up to just the right temperature, so you're not, you know, putting some cold, uh, wet piece of paper, right, on, right, or wet cloth on your loved one. You're you're giving them something that's going to feel good right? and help them feel good by having that warm cloth on them and to feel better with that. Um, so being able to rely on the people who have been before us and using their wisdom and guidance can be so, so very helpful. Um, And two, we might find, hey, you know, something that they did that wasn't for us, you know, that that just simply wasn't for us. Um, 
for example, um, when you're talking about um, bathing, bathing our loved one. Um, remember my mother was so thrilled when, um, and it was either a hospice worker or a home health care nurse. Bless her hearts. They were like an angel sent down right then. <laughs> but they, she was able to get a male who would come in, you know, in a, I don't know, I guess I have to say, in a male man. My father was, he was in the army in World War II and all of that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and although he, bless his heart, he was in a family with uh, two daughters and, and a wife and yeah, even our dogs were female, but um, <laughs> so much more comfortable with another male saying, hey, man, okay, we're going to do this. And he would just, he would allow that male, get him all cleaned up and boom, he was ready um, rather than a female. Because so we do that for the person we're caring for, but we got to remember to do that for ourselves after the fact, though. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, things like massages, they're not for everyone I know, but if a person tries it and they enjoy um, the type, maybe under mine, I always ask, okay, what part of your body do we need to concentrate on? <laughs> right, like, right, right. Oh, you know, neck and shoulders. I and tried to, this week to find a masseuse because my neck and shoulders are hurting and that's not going to go well with my diving this weekend. I couldn't find a masseuse within 50 miles that could take me this week. So, <laughs> but, oh. first, but you're right. A massage or maybe just a pedicure or a manicure. Yes. I, I, you know, find something. I told another, uh, cows on an interview the last couple of weeks you know i said find something that you enjoy and make yourself go do it at least once a week if no other time at least once a week mm -hmm. please get out of your house and go yeah. do something for pleasure for yourself and mm -hmm. i think a lot of uh a lot of cows have a hard time getting out of the house and doing something on their own uh it's certainly not easy to go eat by yourself or Go, but I've learned in six years, if I something I want to do, I'm not waiting around. I'm just going to go do it. But everybody's not me. And mm -hmm. it's harder for some people to start developing an identity of their own. And uh, what would you suggest to them, those who are kind of stuck, maybe in the same living room or the same bedroom and can't quite, I think they need to change something. That's my opinion, but I'm not the professional. So what is your... What would be your advice to those who are in that first year or two and are finding it hard to continue with life? Because we all grieve differently is such a personal journey. Um, if we're the friend of someone who is doing that, we see that happening. Um, we can suggest things that have been helpful to us when we were in similar situations, but we're going to have to be able to give them the choice. Give to them grieve the in their own time. Yes. And yes. in their own way. Mm -hmm. When it right, when it's the right time for them. Um, 
Yes, because um, I talk about massages and how much I, I enjoy, you know, having my my neck and back and shoulders and really just, you know, any sore part, legs, arms, mm-hmm. uh, wrist with um, <laughs> arthritis and all that kind of thing going on. Yeah. Um, that's helpful to me, but I had a really, really good friend in my hometown that she just couldn't do it. Didn't Could do not say, Carol, I have tried and tried and tried. But for her, she found if she were to put on a sweatsuit and go to a masseuse and they could massage her through that sweatsuit, mm. she was good. She was fine with it. So that's what I'm saying. You know, make it your own. Make it what you feel most comfortable with. And, um, and yeah, be ready. You know, if you start something like that, it's just not working to go, okay, time out. Uh, this is just not working for me. Thank you very much. You know, and then try something new. Yes, yes. Yeah. Go in a different direction. What um, about the part for those who, who maybe stay home too much or, I know I've I've had this brought up when I've talked to others. They can't bear to uh, do away with his chair, her chair, or, you know, they're just stuck in that time period and don't know what to do. And they're, and unfortunately are getting depressed. And that, I think that's where I want to go with this right now. I want us to really address that depression that may be set in and what can they do or what can someone who knows them do to help them break out of that so they don't get into a crisis situation like like possibly hurting themselves? Yeah. We can always, always, always talk openly. Um, if someone is to the point where they're thinking about taking their own life but most of the time I found they're relieved to be able to talk about it Mm -hmm. they really are and perhaps um you know when you mentioned earlier about tea like the group having tea or coffee Mm -hmm. um, having something like that that you can offer to them um and it doesn't have to be home-baked cookies, although I think those are the best. But, <laughs> you know, it can be your favorite store ball. Cookies or crackers or whatever, a piece of fruit, whatever it is. And um, and just talk real openly and honestly with them. You say, I wonder, have you ever thought about harming yourself? Mm-hmm. And if they say, Yes. Okay. Tell me about that. And if they say, oh, no, 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 I just couldn't do that. Or they might uh, say, I'm lonely and I'm sad, or I don't care if I wake up tomorrow. That was me. I don't really care if I wake up and I'm lonely, but I wouldn't take my own life. That's still a deep depression. Yes, it is. And still very, very, very important to be able to talk with someone who is skilled in being able to help us look at 
what thoughts, what behaviors we are stuck in doing that won't allow us to move forward. And oftentimes it's if I get rid of his or her chair, recliner usually. Mm -hmm. It is a recliner usually, especially in ALS. A lift recliner, to be exact. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. Um, then that's that's going to be disrespectful to them. I would encourage that person to think back before ALS. Think back, uh, maybe in the early years of your marriage, maybe when you were dating, mm-hmm. or if you were lucky enough to have known your loved one when you were growing up the kinds of things they like to do um say if if they enjoy playing a sport or they were a jokester they like to you know play jokes on people and just like my bill (laughs) fun harmless things but everybody laughs and they feel so much better they so try to redirect the negative memories back yes. to a positive is what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. And then once you can get them thinking along those lines, ask them if they would commit to doing one thing, one thing that was that they enjoyed or that their loved one enjoyed. Just one thing. Just try it, you know. Doesn't work, doesn't help. That's okay. But, uh, and to yeah, talk about it later with your friend or your counselor. Mm-hmm. No, that didn't work. It just didn't. It, I thought this and this and this. Okay. So, we, could we make some adjustments there to help it go better next time? If you, right. you really want to do that, uh, like you were saying about learning a new sport. Uh, being, Dreams for us, or or even if it's just um, I've never been. Of course, we don't get to the, to go to the movies too much these days. But um, oh, I do. I love the movies. <laughs> I think it's a great. I think it's a great thing to do is go to the movies. I literally, when I drove to Montgomery this past Sunday, I was planning to go to Costco and buy food for my rabbits, which means spring mix. <laughs> and um, oh, yeah, <laughs> and as I saw on my AMC app that, um, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. And I remembered that book from my kid's childhood. I'm like, oh, I bet that'd be a cute, well, you know, a funny and lighthearted movie. I want to go to the movie. And I whipped my car right on into the theater that was right there on that road. And I, and I do that. I do a lot of spontaneous things. I went to the movie and it was great and it was wonderful. I came out of the movie and thought, I don't want to go to Costco. I don't want to go back home. I'm going to go play with baby goats on the islands. (laughs) And that's how I am now. I mean, I have become extremely spontaneous. And I think, and I wasn't, because in the ALS world, you're very regimented. Everything has to be done at a certain time. And that's the case with a lot of caregiving situations. But in ALS, it truly is. I mean, you got to turn them. You got to do this. You got to do that. And so you're on the schedule. So when when they're gone, it's like you're like a balloon that somebody's let the air out and you're just all over the place because you 
you don't know who you are and you don't even know what to do anymore. It's like you forget to do things because you don't know what to do without that schedule and about that person. And over the last six years, I've learned, and I hope that someone listening to this will just pick up this habit too. I've just learned just to go do. And I, when I'm not going to work or teaching or whatnot during the week, when I'm not there, I pretty much do whatever pops in my mind. If I have the cash on me at that point, uh, yep. I just, and I'm, I have found that I'm so much happier just having experiences and experience might just be going where there's baby goats that I can hug on, or mm -hmm. it might be stopping and going to a movie out of the blue and sitting in the dark. Cause you don't feel alone because it's yeah. dark and it's cool. Nobody cares. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, and I, now I will go to fancy restaurants by myself. I'm a little self-conscious, but I've learned like, you know what? I, yeah, I'm doing it. I want, I want to try this that I heard about and I go. Yes. But, um, you know, it's, it's just like we talked about, it. you said extreme sports. I mean, it's like, I decided that I wanted to go jump out of an airplane. I drove myself to the jump center <laughs> and I did it and I just did Indeed. it. And the yeah. more you do this kind of thing, the more you just take a deep breath and you just dive in. I found the more I do it, the easier it got. And so now I do more. So now I'm doing the scuba diving thing. I have a thing about extreme sports. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. but mm -hmm. it's, it's just fun. And I can go, uh, there's a drive through safari 50, 50 minutes from my house. And before I ever took a grandchild there, I went by myself. I went to the drive through safari, just on, just on a whim, just went, uh -huh paid the money, drove through and loved it. I had llamas and I don't know what some of those animals Ooh. were sticking their head in my car door and getting all over <laughs> me. And uh, one big animal stole my bucket of food and I had to get another bucket. And then I got to actually walk up and hug a giraffe. I'm like, oh my God, what a day. So yeah. for me, what pulled me out was just getting really brave and getting out there and just doing things. And that may not be for everybody, but I want to share what I did. And I also, the home I'm in now, uh, my bill never lived here. So this is my own space. And I painted it and decorated it to my liking and I have new stuff. So if I was still in a, in the home that we shared, it probably would have been harder for me. Um, I think for me, changing my environment had a lot to do with me being able to pick up and go. So anyway, that's my story. <laughs> because you identified some key factors there. Our environment, the setting we're in, the milieu, and how that can change. And the more we are an agent of change, whether it's in our environment, whether it's with our thoughts, whether it's with our actions, like you're learning to be spontaneous and like it, enjoy it. Whereas uh, another person who is um, who loves routine <laughs> might go, oh, no, that just wouldn't work. But consider um, rather than getting chocolate ice cream, they could try vanilla with yeah. hot fudge. Just okay. make little changes, maybe not big yeah. ones like I'm doing, but little it's things. A, yeah. Mm -hmm. And just try it out. And if you don't like it, you don't have to do it again. 
but you agree um, it's not a good it, idea to stay stuck in your house all the time you do need to find a way to get even if you just go sit on your porch something get out of your environment right yeah. i wish yes i do wish we had um more neighborhoods with sidewalks yeah and houses with front porches or back porches um or even just putting some chairs or a little bench out in front of your house yeah. where you can watch the people go by, see the school bus come. Uh, there's just so many things we can do and see just from where we are yeah. and uh, that we never, ever noticed before. And look, there is a world out there and it's just waiting for us to become a part of it. And what to would learn you say? And what would you say though if you said that to someone in a counseling session, a, a widow, a new widow maybe, or a widow that's been a widow for a year or so, and you made those suggestions and they looked at you, they're like, "But I'm not interested in any life without him or without her." What can? Because that person is obviously stuck. And I, I, I know we can't help everyone, but. What is something, a simple thing, or maybe maybe not so simple, that might help someone like that? Okay. One thing you can ask them is, what, what would your loved one have said if he or she were right here beside you? What suggests that you do? Something Nine times that, out of ten, that person would have said, I want you to go live and be happy. I think very few of them would yes. ever want anything other than that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Because they see, they see how you're putting your life on hold temporarily. Right. And that's the thing too, to remind yourself, we're on this earth for a brief period. We a finite don't amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. How much time it's going to be or not. Mm -hmm. But to be able to live each day and each moment and each day to its fullest and to get as much enjoyment as we can out of each day, what fun, what fun that truly can be. And it's a gift that was stolen from the person we took care of. And that person, even if they had frontal temporal lobe dementia and acted like they hated you or didn't want you to have anything there, you know, in their right mind, they really did. They would want you to keep living. That's what I've told several other cows that I've interviewed. You know, they want you to keep living. They know that they want you to be happy. Yes. So, you know, you have to find a way to be happy. And that's the hardest part is finding the way. And I, I don't have all the answers. I struggled for the first couple of years. I probably made it because I had to work no matter what. That's the only way I could survive. Because we, I mean, we went into medical bankruptcy before he passed away. I had nothing left when he died. There wasn't anything. I started over at 57 years old with no money. At that point, no job. I'd given it up for him. And that was a very scary place to be. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I just kept pushing forward. And I, I thank my parents, honestly, for that. A lot of people don't have the same examples I have. And I get, and I get that. Um mm -hmm. I just don't want people to give up. That's the whole point of doing this episode. I, I, I don't want them to get so depressed that they just give up and don't live and or maybe hurt themselves. And I just wanted them to hear that there are other ways you can deal with your sadness and 
there is a number to call if they feel desperate to do that. As we wind this down, I'm going to let you wrap up with anything that maybe I've interrupted or you haven't got to say, but some parting words for those who are listening, both the caregivers, the former caregivers, and maybe those who know someone. What are some things you would like to end this on? Okay. Another thought about helping someone to come out of that awful place of depression. Find someone that you could do something special for them. Now, I'm not saying send them on a cruise around the world or anything. Right, like right. No, it's that thing of those little things, those little things of life that can mean so much. Uh, you um, walk out to your mailbox. You see your neighbor across the street. They walk out to their mailbox. And it's a windy day. They are taking the mail out. And it's one of those days that the mailman just, you know, packed that little mailbox full. So some of that mail just starts flying down the street. Well, and you know, um, this person uh, across the street, they're not the spryest person anymore. We can always say, hey, hold on just a minute. I'll be glad to get that for you as soon as we, you know, see that it's a good time to do that. Uh, or it can be just very little things. Um, you're going to the store. And rather than taking the perfect parking place that comes open, you look behind you, there's a car and it is filled with people. Think, hmm. They might need it more than I. Mm -hmm. So instead of taking that parking lot, you keep on going and you take the next parking place. Or maybe you get to ride around the, the parking lot a few times. I've tried this, but I guarantee you, I guarantee you a good and sometimes an even better parking place will be available mm -hmm. when we put others first. And it, yeah, you can say, oh, that's such a little thing. Yeah, it may be just a totally little thing. And that person might not have noticed it at all. Or they might have. That might have been the kindest thing anyone has done for them in a long time. Mm -hmm. And they saw it. And they appreciated it. It's like the um, paying it forward. When you're, I don't do fast food much anymore. Oh, I had that done to me recently where somebody, when I got to the window to pay, they said the car in front of you paid for your meal. And I'm yes. like, oh my goodness, well, I'll pay for him behind me. And I thought, I hope they didn't order a lot because I only have X number of dollars and it's not payday. <laughs> but I did pay for the person behind me. So that is a, a really cool feeling. It is. Uh, when that happens. And, uh, you know, thinking about that, uh, after Bill died, you do feel, after your person dies, a lot of times you do feel forgotten unless you have a super close-knit group. But a lot of people that were there kind of fade away. But yeah. even if there's just one person, maybe I had a care package dropped at the door one time, you know, just literally some food and stuff. And boy, I tell you, I had hardly no food at that point. 
it was such a nice thing just mm -hmm. knowing that I mattered to somebody yes you know if I did there was a I know I did but it felt like I didn't yes so, yeah it's, and that's where yeah we could um Bake some of those little slice and bake cookies that we have in our refrigerator, maybe. Yeah. Uh, take them over to your neighbor next door. Um, ring their doorbell. Put them on their little bench there by the door and, you know, wave at them when they come out to get it. And invite, invite widows and widowers to your family dinner or maybe just to go have a burger with you and your kids or... Um, it hasn't been done. I maybe it was done with me a couple of times, but I got to tell you, I would have really appreciated it a lot of times when I saw people going and doing thinking, wow, I wish someone would call and invite me. You know, it would be nice to know. Uh, I would love to go have a good time. So, um, I've made an effort to invite others to do things. I mean, a lot of times the answer is no, but at least I invited, at least I let them know they mattered in that moment, you know? even yes. if they don't accept, it's just really important, I think, to let people know that they're not forgotten because you do feel forgotten after a journey like this. You really do. It doesn't matter that you have people that love you. If they're not checking on you, we don't want to hover though, but if they're not, if you don't ever get invited to do things or never feel like you're a part of anything, you just get into a deeper depression. And I experienced that at church too. I mean, yeah, I had people I talked to and I was, you know, a door opener or whatever, a greeter. That was fine. But then once that was over and service started, I sat by myself in a church with hundreds of people, a great many that knew me and that I knew them. But I sat by myself every mm -hmm. single time. And it'd be nice. It would have been nice to have been not, not asked to sit with someone occasionally or for yes. someone to say, hey, can we come sit with you? I think what I want people to know is that they need to pay attention and yes. not assume that someone's doing okay, but to check on them frequently for yes. a little while there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. And that, that is, um, that is our being proactive by one, wanting to help others around us and thinking of, simple, easy ways we can do it. Yeah. Uh, and when you were saying, just to let them know that you thought about them, sending them, of course, we don't have postcards much anymore. A text but, message. Hey, just checking on you today. Yeah. How are you yeah. doing? Anything I can do for you? Nine times out of 10, they're going to say, no, I'm good. But thank you for checking on me. Yes. At least they know somebody cared. I mean, I said recently yeah. even, and I know my children love me and my sister loves me. I know that. And we all are extremely busy. But I joked with my sister. I was like, you know, oh, I could fall down the back steps like I did a few years ago and die on the patio out there. And literally, no one would know until the buzzards came because no one of you guys ever call and check on me. We, we'll, I said, you might notice after two or three days, gosh, I haven't heard from Jan in a while, but Jan's already dead out there and the buzzards picking her skin off. And, 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 and I say it laughingly, but it's actually the truth because in our world now we're so busy yes. and I don't know how to change any of that. But my point here is I'm cool. I'm okay. But when people are just coming out of this whole situation, that first year or two, nobody should go days without somebody checking on them. They just shouldn't. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, in fact, under uh, a lot of situations, you know, how we have the, the people coming to the funeral or the memorial service and yeah. they're just bringing food and coming, 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 and we have more food than we could ever possibly eat. And right. All that. But give it about five, six months. People stopped coming by. Oh, it didn't take five or six months. It talk, took a couple of weeks uh, and people disappeared. And my mother, my mom, who buried my dad and my stepdad, uh, she she warned me of that. And uh, yeah, it does. And it's not, and I know that these people, it's not that they don't care. They do. People are busy. But uh, I'm just saying in those first weeks and months, make an effort to check on people. And if they're on social media, watch their social media, check on them yeah. there. Yes. And you may and you may not ever get a clue that something bad's gonna happen like what happened to the two people that I know. I mean, sometimes you just don't know. But I know one thing, if you've done all that you can do to support that person, to let them know with a text message, then you know you've done what you could do and there was nothing you could do about that. Because yes. ultimately, we don't really know what goes through someone's mind who commits suicide because we can't study it because they're gone. We we don't know what happens that and then, that causes that to happen. Yeah. Unfortunately, statistically, if someone wants to commit suicide, they're going to find a way. Yeah. They're going to find a way. And I read something interesting. Uh, you will bring this to an end here in a sec. I, I found something interesting that a lot of times people who threaten it never do it, but then it's the ones like the two people I knew who yeah, uh, just comes out of the blue. And yeah. well, actually, I've known three people in, that have killed themselves in the last five months. Okay. Two of them have been caregivers. And none of the three were expected and it's it's still rocking the world of the families and it's like what in the world happened because then you've got survivor's guilt and all that other and the thing about and als caregivers a lot of us will tell you we have ptsd we're triggered by certain things we have flashbacks and it just sends us right back and that's just another whole another little bag of worms to deal with but that complicates the psyche so mm -hmm. much um i i don't know i don't know i think you've given some good pointers on what to do during the caregiving and and somehow to try to find a way to stay connected after it's all said and done right uh-huh any closing it, words with all that okay b be the kind of person who does those things that you wish others had done for you Mm -hmm. to me that's the best we can do mm -hmm. to be mindful of others if we pray to pray for others um, to do special things for others and especially those things that um, they may never know but they know somebody somebody, somebody cared enough to do it yes, yes. yes they somebody cared enough to do it I think that's important. And that's something I think our world is missing tremendously now is that that personal touch. And again, even if you have to do it through social media groups, it's fine if that's the way you can stay connected. 
And that, like yeah. I said, I've met some great friends that way. Um, and right now I'm planning diving trips that way. So it's just, you have to find whatever works for you. But yeah. I just don't want people to be alone, which is one reason I started the Life After That podcast and dedicated this first year to ALS, ALS being the that, um, you know, what was that? I, I really wanted this to be kind of a ministry to those who have been through what I've gone through. I can't go and be a day-to-day caretaker for someone. I'm too scarred. I'm damaged. Uh, most ALS caretakers that I've talked to are the same. We just are like, oh my God. I know of a couple who have gone and literally had needle EMG tests the last couple of weeks because they they noticed the fasciculations, the little twitching under the skin. Like a lot of us first saw that as first symptoms of our person that had it. And they are so freaked out, they think they have it now, which is highly unlikely, which they've all tested negative. But that's what it does. It does yes. to the mind. And then and then they have gotten depressed because they're back in it again. And that's why I guard myself. I, I have people in that community that I still care about so much, but I really had to put a guard fence around myself and yes. say, you can't, because I used to say, oh, I will always be at all the support group meetings. I will always do this. I will always do that. And then I found that I couldn't do it, not and keep my own mental health. I had to stop. And it's taken me five years to start this podcast. So this is my way now of reaching out and helping others in the shoes I used to be in and in the shoes I still am in, in the post, in the post ALS world. So I, if you had to name the top three things very quickly, what would they be? I would think connection with others would be one, but what would what would be the top three, in your opinion, as a professional for caregivers to do to protect themselves? Plan for yourself. One, something to do each day, something to do that is meaningful to you. And initially it may not be, like, I can't think of anything that's meaningful to me right now. That's okay. Just plan one thing that you can do the next day and do it mm-hmm. and reward yourself afterwards that you did it Two, do something for someone else. Even though you're doing something for someone else all the time. Now we're talking yeah. about after, after the fact, do something for somebody else. Is that what we're yeah. saying? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because that brings its own reward. And we're making a difference in changing the world by doing that. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing to have access, and it can be religious, it can be spiritual, but to have a higher power. Um, someone or something that you can look to that you know, even if everything just goes south. Right. And you know, you know that that's where your strength comes from. Mm-hmm. Because that, that will never change. Right. That, that will I, never change. And I, agree with all, I agree with all of that. Yeah. I think I think those are all good pointers for sure. And that is all wound together in connecting to things and resources and people, higher powers, whatever it might be that 
could give you some strength to keep going and to carry on for sure. Um, I think you just have to, you just have to know the world's a better place with you in it, with you smiling yeah. and with you being happy. So I want to encourage you, if you, uh, any of those that are listening, whether you're a caregiver now, a past caregiver or, or a friend or family member of someone who is, uh, if you feel like someone is, is in a depressed state, I, we want to encourage you to reach out to them and just be a good listener, a good friend. Don't try to tell them what to do, but just to listen to them and see where they're at. Maybe, you know, take them out for a cup of coffee or tea or Coke Zero. And I would want a Coke Zero. That's my thing. Um <laughs> Take note of the hotline number that's on the platform, if you can see it on your phone or computer, and, uh, you know, make sure that they get the help that they need. Um, we don't want to lose our caregivers on top of the persons they were taken care of. So with that, Carol, I want to thank you once again for coming back and talking to us thank today about all this is an important issue. Thank you. I enjoyed it. And I'm going to say a little personal thing here. I thank Carol for helping me so many years ago. And uh, I thank her for helping a lot of people. She wrote a wonderful book. Could you tell us the title of your book about the Enterprise Tornadoes? Yes, it's called Day of Destruction. And it is on Amazon. Uh, look for Carol Trant Dean and you'll find it. And I have a, another book that's coming out. And okay. the name is Hope fearlessly can't wait i read the uh day of destruction and uh because my husband my now late husband and my children we lived across the street from enterprise alabama's high school where that horrible tornado hit killed uh, several students we mm -hmm. lived a street over from that and i was actually driving into enterprise with my son coming from uh, a private school in dothan where i taught at the time and we saw that tornado and it it nearly lifted my car off the road. We were on the phone with my husband um, and my daughter. And I said that they just said the tornado is headed straight for the high school. Y'all get in the bathtub. And about that time, the phone went dead. I got chills all over my body right now, even recounting the story. And I remember looking over at my Jacob and I'm like, the phone went dead. I thought my husband and child were killed that day. And that was before ALS even entered our lives. And as we got into Enterprise and I saw a car in a tree and then I was like, there are no trees where there used to be trees. And we were trying to get to our home and we pulled up and my Bill and my daughter were standing in the front yard and um, the neighbor was married to a police officer. And she said, they're saying there's trapped children, trapped kids up at the high school. We literally took our two kids and ran a block and a half up to the high school and started helping get kids out. And I sat with one of those students with a gigantic baseball-sized lump on her head. She had come out of the third hall. I believe yeah. that was the hall. Was it first hall or third hall where they were all killed? Third hall. Yeah. And um, she grasped my hand. She said, please don't leave me. I said, I'm not going to leave you. And I stayed with that girl for hours on a piece of plywood. Was we transported her in the back of a pickup truck, but there was so much damage, it took forever to even get to a triage to get help for her. And Bill actually went into the building and was helping get people out. And the last view I had of him was him holding a young boy. I believe his back was broken that came off the bat hall. They had him on plywood. They put him on the hood of a car and my bill was holding him there. Then they transferred. And that's the last sight. I didn't know what happened to him. My kids were helping 
students and my kids were really young at that time. They were helping students bleeding. That was a horrible day. But what I wanted to say is that book tells that story. But in that book, Carol also lays out some things you can do to get through some of the trauma and coming out of longtime caretaking, you're traumatized. So I recommend the book just because it has some great stuff in it that might help. And I just wanted to bring that up. So thank you once again, Carolyn. We're going to say goodbye for now. And uh, everyone listening, and I appreciate you listening to Life After That. And uh, the family stories will continue rolling out. Have a good evening. Thank you, Jan. Love you. Thank you.